Good Tuesday morning to you. I am Michael Miano. I get to be your host for the next hour, an hour and a half or so. And uh, this morning, what we're going to be talking about is the rapture. Uh, last night, the History Channel had a filming of Revelation, the end of days. And there'll be it was a two-night event. It'll be on tonight again at 9 p.m. Um, to f- conclude the show. And I had a lot to say about it. You know, as a uh, preterist, I have a lot to say about it. Real quickly, before I begin our show this morning, about... Two months ago in October, I invited a, uh, a local pastor to come in um, into the pulpit here at Blue Point Bible Church and teach us about the dispensationalist view of hell in the afterlife. And in doing so, and also I did a debate a couple years back with a dispensationalist about the coming of the Lord. And one thing that's um, very big within these uh, this dispensational view is charts, having charts with arrows going all over the place and um you know, here I sit right now with the Dakes Annotated Reference Bible in front of me, and as you go through it, you notice that there's more notes than there is Bible scripture. So uh, surely when I had heard of the Dakes Annotated Reference Bible and all that it con- uh, included with the dispensationalist view, I said, I have to get my hands on that book. I'm one of those people. I love big books. I love the Bible. I love the big book of AA. I love the big book of the dispensationalist Bible because what they do is they encourage us to learn more. Let it be our goal to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. Amen. Join me in prayer, and then we will open in song, and we will get into today's show. Heavenly Father, we give you all the glory, Lord. We lift up our show to you. We praise you, Lord. We, we pray that your spirit continues to enlighten your truth to us, Lord. We thank you for salvation in and through Jesus Christ. We thank you for all that we have in and through you, Lord. And ultimately, we thank you for the big book. We thank you for the Bible. We lift up our praise to you, Lord. For We know the Bible comes to us through tradition, Lord God. We thank you for tradition. We thank you for critical thinking, the, the eyes to prove all things in accordance with your word, Lord, first Thessalonians 5.21, and ultimately all that we do, we seek to give you glory, Lord. We lift all things up in and through Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, when I see big books, I love big books, and I know I have to get my hands on that book. So we'll open up with this song and kind of invite our study to get going. Oh my goodness. Becky, look at her Bible. It is so huge. She looks like one of those preacher guys' girlfriends. But who understands those preacher guys anyway? They only talk to her because she looks like Mother Teresa. Okay. I mean, but look at it. It's just huge. Gross. She just looks so righteous. I like big bubbles and I cannot lie. You Christian brothers can't deny that when a girl walks in with a KJV and a bookmark in Proverbs, you get stoked. Got a name engraved so you know this girl is saved. Like one of those large ones with plenty of space in the margin. Oh, baby, I want to read with you because your Bible's got pictures. My minister tried to console me, but that book you got makes me so holy. Oh, mama mia, you say you want koinonia? Well, bless me, bless me, and teach me about John Wesley. I saw her praying while I was DJing. She got grace, pretty face. She ain't going down to the bad place. I'm tired of heathen guys saying they like pocket size. At the average Christian to take a look, she got a pack much book. So, fellas, yeah, fellas, yeah. If your girlfriend's got the book, oh, yeah. Well, read it, read it, read it, read it. Read that holy book. Baby, y'all, NIV with the ribbon bookmark. NIV with the ribbon bookmark. Baby, y'all, NIV with the ribbon bookmark. Ribbon bookmark. I like them leather and bound. It's 50 pounds. I just can't understand how it is some weenie. Once bottle on CD, you want to get you 
saved. Amen. Double up. Amen. I ain't talking about a paraphrase, because Paul wouldn't use those anyways. I like them real thick and red-lettered. You can't find nothing better. South Paul's in love. Bubbles that big are unheard of. So I'm sitting here thinking, what if? I find me a girl that shows midriff. You can have those bimbos. I keep those chicks that do devos. A word to the Christian sisters. I can't resist ya. I do got time with ya. But I gotta be straight when I say I wanna pray till the break of day. Baby got it going on like the wife in Proverbs 31. We just might get engaged when we finish reading this page. Cause it's worn and it's torn. And I know that girl's reborn. So ladies, yeah. ladies, yeah. do you wanna save people from Hades? Yeah. Then read it till the pages fall out. Even white preachers gotta shout. Baby got time. Thompson chain with the big red letters. Thompson chain with the big red letters. Baby got book. Yeah, baby. When it comes to a good book, Stephen King's resume just can't compare. 39 plus 27 equals 66 books. And if you're Catholic, there's even more. So your girlfriend quotes Bill Hybels. But does she got a big Bible? Cause that little thing she's got won't start a revival. My Bible study don't want none unless you got book, hun. You can read Clancy or Grisham. But please don't lose this book. Some brothers want to play that hard role. And say that book's too old. So they toss it and they burn it. But I pull up quick to just learn it. So your girl likes paperback. Well, I ain't down with that. Cause my girlfriend's hot and her Bible's rocking. And she's got good doctrine. To the atheist chicks who try to diss. You ain't it, Miss Pris. Give me a Christian, I'm insisting. And I greet her with some holy kissing. Some pervert tried to chase. But he didn't make it past first base. She's quick to resist temptation. And she loves a new translation. So ladies who are lost and found. If you want the triple six thrown down. Dial 1-800-READS-A-LOT. And teach me about those songs. Baby, got And I be with the ribbon bookmark. And I be with the ribbon bookmark. Baby, got Thompson chain with the big red letters. Thompson chain with the big red letters. Bubble cows now, but you still got book. 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 Well, surely we have to begin uh, with humor. Obviously, looking into a doctrine where a five foot, you know, let's let's guess a height here, five foot seven man comes floating down from the sky to bring his people up into the air to meet him, to uh, then I guess come back down to the earth or to ascend into heaven and come back down to earth to fix the earth from all the problems, man's sin, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Surely we need a little bit of humor to deal with that. Surely I needed a little bit of humor to sit through and watch the History Channel last night and say somehow that has to do with the Bible. Again, you know, one of the things if uh, you watch the broadcast, you'll notice it was all based in Israel. Because again, this is who Jesus was speaking to in the first century. He had come to none other than the lost sheep of Israel. He was speaking to them. And he tells them things are going to happen soon in their generation, Matthew chapter 24, before they should finish going through the um, cities of Israel. And yet here we are 2,000 years later. Arguing over whether or not it's going to be a literal catching up into the sky or when it's going to happen. Is it going to happen before the tribulation, after the tribulation? When is the tribulation? I mean, surely you have to have humor to deal with this. You have to. Uh, even to add even more humor to it. Um, last night, watching the video with uh, some friends and you know people that come to church, and we got to talking about you know our friends, and obviously, you know, I have a lot of friends that still believe in what we might call a pre-tribulation rapture, meaning that before the world gets really, really bad, 
Jesus is going to save and pull his people off of the earth. Um, I'm going to explain where that comes from in a moment here and um, and then give some clarity in regard to that doctrine. But it's funny because um, a woman from my church, a good friend of mine, she says to me, uh, well, I, I was explaining to one of my friends that believes in the rapture, you know, and they think we're weird because we don't believe in the rapture. And they say, well, well, then what do you guys do at your church? And, and I sat there and I said, well, you know, I want to throw the question back at them. So you believe a five foot seven Jewish man is going to come out of the sky. You believe that there's a real seven headed dragon in the book of Revelation. You take that literalist approach to Revelation um, as far as seven headed dragons coming out of the sea, um, the, the red beast coming out of the sea and conquering the nations, um, you know, the, the two witnesses being devoured by fire. Um, I mean, I could go on and on, you know, Jesus coming on a horse with a sword with a tattoo on his thigh. I mean, if you read these literal, you end up with some really absurd theologies and really absurd views. So my question to those that do believe in the rapture is what do you do at church? Your view is stranger than mine. I, I shouldn't have to answer. Um, it doesn't make me awkward that I don't believe in a uh, pre-tribulation rapture. But anyway, you know, that's that's jest. So real quickly, I wanted to open up uh, in a certain way here. I was reading through uh, Don Preston. He has a couple writings. Um, if you're not familiar with Dr. Don Preston, again, visit eschatology.org, go on YouTube, type in Don Preston, watch a lot of his great morning musings. And uh, he has one one writing called Leaving the Rapture Behind, The Modern Doctrine of the Rapture is False. And also he has another book, which is a bigger book, and it's a commentary on 1 Thessalonians 4, and it's We Shall Meet Him in the Air, The Wedding of the King of Kings. And real quickly, just to give you a basic background of where this doctrine comes from, because again, remembering this is a morning show, we're not going to get like so, so deep. Uh, if you read First Thessalonians, first off, you read Matthew chapter 24. You have the disciples coming to Jesus, asking him, uh, you know, when will these things be? He just got done pronouncing the woes and destruction of Jerusalem to the Pharisees, you know, in Matthew chapter 23. Finally, at the end of Matthew chapter 23, you see him, you know, basically telling Jerusalem, I have longed to gather you, but you have, you've been obstinate, you've been hard-hearted, and, uh, you know, now desolation is coming. The judgment, the wrath of God is going to be revealed against you. And immediately, you know, which I can understand, his disciples come running to him asking, when is this going to happen? What will be the sign of your coming? And again, the sign of his coming, would have, this would have been understood by his disciples as judgment. You know, you read through the Old Testament, you see the coming of the Lord as a very... Um, it's a judgment phrase, you know, uh, the coming of the Lord into Egypt represented, you know, how the Assyrians would invade or, you know, how Egypt would invade Israel or, you know, so on and so forth. So they ask him, when will this, you know, when will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus begins to tell them. And he, he tells them of wars and famines and much like what you watched on the History Channel if you watched that last night. Um, wars, famines, disease, um, a lot of, you know, chaos going on at this this time. Jesus then proceeds to tell them that one will be grinding at the mill and another will be left, as in the days of Noah. Now, the rapture believers have taken that to say, look, it says that one will be there, one will be left. You know, one will be left, one will be taken. And they say that that's a sign of the rapture. The problem I have with that, as I explained to uh, a couple people last night, was that in the days of Noah, the people that were taken by the flood were the wicked. So you would not want to be the ones that were taken in Matthew chapter 24. Okay, so now that we got past that nonsense, now then the next part, the real confusion comes in with First Thessalonians chapter four. In First Thessalonians four, you have the apostle Paul encouraging the Thessalonian believers about the coming of the Lord. And you know, matter of fact, I'll just turn there real quickly. In First Thessalonians four, he's telling them, you know, uh, how they should please God, how they should walk, and uh, that they should not be ignorant concerning those who had fallen asleep. 
And he goes on, you know, again, remembering that if you were a part of national Israel, through your whole life, you have learned that you must subscribe to the law, that you know that uh, the law is where you will be judged by. All of a sudden, here comes the Messianic time, and the Messiah has completely turned this over. And he has said that, you know, while you will be judged by the law, you're going to be judged by the spirit of the law. And, you know, the spirit of the law is ultimately complete, as I've I seen Sam Bradford actually posted on Facebook this morning, that Jesus fulfills the law. You know, you read, again, you know, Sam did a great job showing in um, Romans 2 through 3 how Jesus fulfilled the law, how Jesus, being the doer of the law, he was the only one that could do the law, how he completed the law and us coming into Christ. When we come into Christ, we put on Christ, we put on the doing of the law. And that is how Christ completed the law for us, for our salvation. Obviously, more specifically for Israel's salvation in that first century period. But I believe, you know, just as much as you pour a cup of water into a cup and it overflows, I believe the blessings of God have done exactly that. So, you know, Jesus comes and he comes to his people. He comes to fulfill this. And then, um, you know, now what Israel, the question really was in that time was, well, I've held to the law my whole life. What about my ancestors? What about those that have died under the law? What about those that have died in Christ as martyrs? What's going to happen to them at the end of the age, at the coming of the Lord? And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that they will be drawn up before you. They will meet the Lord before you in the air. You know, he's giving them a promise. He's, he's encouraging them so that they won't drift away saying, wow, my whole family is held to this. How faithful is God if my whole family is held to this for generation after generation, and now judgment is coming upon them? Or, you know, those that have fallen asleep in Christ, how are they going to share in the blessings? You know, these, these are big questions at the church of Thessalonica. So... The Apostle Paul goes on to answer, and, and I'm going to read through 1 Thessalonians 4 in a moment here. However, Don Preston, in the beginning of his writing, he says, uh, if he quotes the psalmist, where in Psalm chapter 11, verse 3, it says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And I believe that it is such a stern warning for the body of Christ. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? I, I find it ironic and pretty disheartening heartening at times that... I read my Bible, I study my Bible, I study to show myself approved, rightly dividing the word of truth, and I uh, I get into these conversations with people where they completely treat me as if I'm, you know, illogical and absurd. Luckily, recently I had a conversation with a futurist pastor, and I was able to kind of explain the reason why I understand the new heavens and new earth as a current reality. I was able to understand why I believe the coming of the Lord happened in AD 70, why I believe the resurrection of the dead ones happened in AD 70, and as I was able to explain my view on my terms and you know, show him why I believe that according to the Bible, I, it was admitted that he would see it the same way I would if he understood the terms the way I do. Now, obviously, the work that we must do is we must show why we understand new heaven and new earth. You know, Again, this is something that has been done on, within preterism. There's so many websites on the internet where information is available. Um, you know, But it was amazing to be able to share this story, and he recognized why I believe what I believe. So really what we have to do, we have a foundation problem. We must get back to the foundation. We must understand our Bible. Um, recently, we've been going through the Catholic Catechism here at the Blue Point Bible Church in one of the Bible studies I lead on Monday nights. And last night, we got into a discussion about tradition and scripture. You know, this is uh, chapter three of the United States Catholic Catechism. begins to talk about how we should be making known the manifold wisdom of God, you know, preaching the gospel to every creature. And while I believe, obviously, that that primary, uh, the primary application of that was fulfilled in that first century, as the Apostle Paul says many times, that every creature under heaven has heard the gospel, that the gospel has been preached to all the nations. And um, I, but I do believe, <clears throat> excuse me, I do believe there's a uh, a modern application of you know evangelizing and uh, what we see in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, bringing that water of life, calling all to the water of life. So the foundations 
of um of our faith with this tradition and so forth you know kind of where uh where the catholic the, where the catholic catechism was going was showing us the difference between tradition and scripture and we know that you know within large majority of different denominations that there kind of be, there's a difference you know as how much weight we might give to tradition how much weight we might give to scripture i happen to fall within like a middle a middle category i have a very healthy respect for tradition i uh you know, I do believe there's a lot of principles that happen within Catholic history that are amazing for the church that we could learn from and possibly implement. Um, I believe that, you know, many of the traditions of Christianity um, through the centuries. So I, I, I love the tradition. You know, I, I believe traditions are good. You know, as we talked about last night at our Bible study, as you read through the verses, I, I had done just a concordance study on the word tradition and traditions. And I think we came up with about seven or eight verses, obviously reading through Matthew, Mark, um, Colossians. So forth, you know, where it's it's talking about in in Matthew and Mark, it seems that Jesus is being pretty harsh on the Pharisees that they they've put their commandments above the commandments of God, their you know their man-made commandments, and now they're following their commandments, which are actually negating the truth of God. You see, and that's why it was a pro problem. It wasn't the tradition that was bad, because then again, as I pointed out last night in Matthew chapter twenty-three, Jesus says that whatever the Pharisees do and teach, do that. You know, again. But your righteousness should surpass theirs. Do what they're doing. You could follow the tradition. Again, I believe that the law was um, strong and in force until AD 70, until that temple was completely taken down. So, you know, they would have followed the traditions. They would have washed their hands the way they did. But again, they weren't, you know, as I pointed out last night, you know, I follow a lot of um, what we might say religious laws, you know, but I don't follow them with the intent to sit back and point at other people as regard to how they're doing it wrong or they're not doing it at all. And that's what was very, very popular within the Pharisaic mindset in the first century, and sadly is very popular within the church today. So, traditions, the foundations, you know, the foundations of our faith. Now, the question really is, is going to be, where do you find the um, foundation of your faith? I happen to take Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says his words, you know, are, should be the foundation, and I believe that whatever he does and teaches should be my foundation I should stand upon. I recognize that Jesus also was a devout Jew. Therefore, he was born under the law, according to Galatians. Therefore, he would have understood the Old Testament very well. He would have been well steeped in the promises to Israel. And I endeavor to understand them out how he would have understood them. To me, that's the foundation. And I believe that foundation has indeed not been destroyed, of course, but I, I believe that it has been um, removed from a lot of Christian lives, from a lot of churches' uh, doctrines. And I believe that we are crying out, what can the righteous do? Why does a preterist who happens to have a, a very solid understanding of the Bible, have to feel accused and um, condemned by a large sector of Christianity. For example, you know, we know Catholicism, they do have um, their traditions that they follow, where I know many Protestants would argue that, you know, I know Luther did, John Calvin did, and even modern-day Reformed teachers would say that, you know, Catholicism has wandered off course, has lost the foundation, and has given into traditions rather than the truth of God. With dispensationalism, as I brought up last night, this is this is ironic. This is some really strange stuff. Dispensationalism has literally created their own tradition. For example, you read uh, in Scripture, and I think it's Second Timothy chapter two, verse fifteen, where it says, "Just study to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the word of truth." What the dispensationalist has done is they have taken the word "divide" and they have said, "Look, it's talking about dividing Scripture, so we must." Go back and we, we must separate Old Testament, New Testament. We must make the promises of the Old Testament to natural Israel. We must make the New Testament to the church, which is a, you know, a temporary plan of God um, while he's seeking to save Israel. And they use that you know, in a really strange way to explain Romans chapter 11. You might uh, be interested in watching Don Preston's debate with Michael um, 
now I'm having a name. I'm forgetting his name here. Um, so either way, just Google Don Preston and um, either Michael or James. I'm going to say James White, but that's not who it was. Um, you can look up the debate that Don Preston had on Romans chapter 11 a couple months back with a very popular dispensationalist teacher. And he, um, I think Don did a great job of showing even Don a debate with Joel McDermott where he developed a lot of the promises um, to the uh, Abraham and how the, the messianic banquet was to be fulfilled, obviously using Isaiah and a lot of the promises there. So, you know, one thing I would say that dispensationalism has right is that they do, you know, focus on Old Covenant Israel. However, they've revived Old Covenant Israel and have given them a place in God's plan today, what they call dispensations. And uh, they've developed this tradition. They believe this is rightly dividing the word of truth. Therefore, when I go to First Peter one twenty and I say that you should not have any scripture of your own private interpretation, they say, well, no, it's according to what the Bible says. It's rightly dividing the word of truth. And, you know, that's when me, I just sit there kind of banging my head into a wall where I'm like, man, how did we get this far from our foundation? So that's really what what's going to happen with our um, our view. And, you know, with the foundation of dispensationalism, what you must what, what you must have is you must have Israel being the chosen people of God today. You must have Jesus coming to reestablish the national kingdom of Israel. You must have the Jewish nation rejecting Jesus made impossible to made it impossible to establish the kingdom of God. Also, as a result of the Jewish rejection of Jesus, the kingdom was postponed until the right time comes for God to fulfill that promise. And this is what they call the millennial gap theory. And they believe there's a 2,000-year gap between the 69th week and 70th week of Daniel chapter 9, according to biblical prophecy. Also, as a result of the postponement of the kingdom agenda, God established the church as an interim measure, kind of like a plan B. That's why if you come to my home, you see I have this little plaque on my wall above my TV. It says, God does not have a plan B. Also, the church will one day be removed from the earth, which is the rapture, so that God can once again resume his exclusive dealings with national Israel. So that's what you have to hold if you want to believe in what we would might call a future rapture theory. To me, this is completely foreign from Scripture, and um, yeah, that's about it. So here we go. We're going to jump into Scripture here. First um, Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's read through this passage and then kind of pick it apart. Furthermore, then, we beseech you. Actually, I'm going to start in chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 7. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted. We were comforted over you in all our inflictions and distressed by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy we're, wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord made you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that, you, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know the commandment we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of conspicuous, conspicuousness. Nope, that's not that word. Concupiscence. 
Oh, man. Even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have forewarned you and testified. For God has not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth, despiseth no man but God, who has also given unto his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed do it to all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more, and that you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk honestly toward them that are without, that you may have lack of nothing. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them who are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain... Sorry about that, a little cut off. We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So again, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica in the first century, telling them that you know they're, they're concerned about those that have died in the Lord. Where Are they, they going to share in this promise? You know, When Jesus comes to bring the reality of the new heavens and new earth, what about my... my those that have died in Christ? What about those that have you know, recognized Jesus Christ as the Messiah, but now have died and aren't going to be here till the end of the age? Are they going to share in the promises? You see the stress that would have been there over the, these people's mindset? And what Paul's saying is, no, no, they're going to share. They're going to be caught up to meet the Lord just as much as you are. The question we must ask is, is this an actual catching up? Is this a literal catching up? What is Paul encouraging the Thessalonians about here? And what I will tell you is that, again, the, the major struggle um, – with our difference today in 2014 and the difference in the first century is they were not concerned with going somewhere else. They were not concerned with being taken off the planet. They were concerned with another reality. They had been bound to the law their entire lives. The way that they understood pleasing God was to follow 613 laws and at the end of it to show your failure and accept the atonement that was offered by the high priest for that year. And year after year, they would wait for atonement and pray that the time of the Messiah would one day come where they would be set free from this law of sin and death that reminded them that they could never stand before God on their own righteousness. So Jesus comes and he brings in that reality, the new heavens and new earth. And again, here, you know, they, what they're doing is they're waiting for that. They're longing for that. That's what we read about in Romans chapter 8, where creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. So they weren't waiting to be brought to another place. They were waiting for another reality. And again, as I just mentioned, that now since some of those are dying in this first century period, there's many of the believers are worried, well, are they going to share in the promises? How are they going to share in the promises? And what the Apostle Paul is saying is, no, they will be caught up to the Lord as well. And the, the catching up, actually the, the term harpazo, which is interesting, they say it here in First Thessalonians in this Dake's Annotated Reference Bible. They say, Greek harpazo, to carry off, grasp hastily, snatch up, to seize and overpower, to plunder. From this, we get our word rapture, meaning the act of transporting as harpazo is used. But that is, that's not right, because harpazo means caught together or snatching or seizing away. It doesn't denote a direction. It doesn't mean we're going to be caught up into the clouds. It means we're going to be caught together in the air. That's the way that the verse is used. Again, 
We know that um, Satan, according to Scripture, is the prince. Of, he has, he's the prince, and he has the power over the air. Does that mean that we're talking about the breath that we breathe, or the air in the sky, or are we talking about the spirit of the air, the spirit, right? The, that, that type of air, the spiritual world. Satan had dominion over the spiritual world due to the law of Moses, that that law of sin and death continually condemned men. That's where Satan had dominion. Satan was being overpowered and conquered through the ministry of Jesus Christ because Christ was fulfilling the law. Now they're going to be caught together with Jesus. It's going to be a glorious new reality where they're going to be caught together with God in the air, in that spiritual world, and uh, be removed from Satan would be removed from the power over that dominion. Now the saints are reigning and ruling with Jesus in that spiritual world. That's what we're dealing with in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Again, you know, Don Preston, men much smarter than me, have dealt with this doctrine and have really uh, worked out the details. But at the basic level, that's what we're dealing with. You know, again, I, I want you, I want to uh, exhort you to really look at that in, in your Bible and read through that passage and understand what was going on in Thessalonica and why they were waiting for this catching away of the Lord. If I could read you some details, actually, we're going to go through some verses here this morning. I'm going to read you some stuff out of the Dakes Annotated Bible, again, reminding you that there's more notes in the Bible than there is verses. So uh, I figured we might as well just go through some of the notes, kind of pick it apart, and see where we might find agreement and disagreement. Here in one part of the Dakes Annotated Reference Bible, in the study notes by 1 Thessalonians, it says this, the rapture and the second coming, referring to uh, chapter 2, verse 19, which reads this. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye at the presence of our Jesus Christ? Are not ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye are a glory and joy. Another thing I want to point out, as I was reading, I was thinking about this, is the pronouns. Because if you notice here, listen to what the Apostle Paul is saying. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of rejoicing? So now, the first thing we have to do is we would have to find out who the hour is, because then he says, Are not even you all? In the presence of our Lord and Jesus Christ at his coming? For you all are our glory and joy. So he, you all, I would say, is probably, you know, obviously we're reading a letter from the Apostle Paul to Thessalonica. If you would turn with me to just the first part of the chapter, verse 1-1, one, one, look at this. Paul, Silvanius, and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you. So now you have these these you know, apostles, you might say, these, these men that were being led by God, writing to the church at Thessalonica. Well, commonly, we always say, you know, oh, it's by the Apostle Paul. But no, it's Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy. And they're writing the hour, you know, the, again, our hope. Remember in Second uh, Thessalonians 2.19, he's saying hour. So now we know who the hour is, and we know who you all are, is the church at Thessalonica. If you don't pay attention to those pronouns, you could end up in some strange places. And uh, which obviously is obvious because we have over like, a million different denominations, and this is exactly what we did not want and what the, the oneness in Christ does not represent. However, you know, again, I believe that we can use, we can utilize this postmodern mindset um, to challenge people to study, to show themselves approved, and to reject things that just don't line up with truth. So we just read that's the hope. Again, you know, I know a lot of uh, dispensationalists that will say the rapture is the great hope of the church. Um, I would say that, you know, positing a preterist understanding was that, yes, while the coming of the Lord and, and what we might refer to as a catching away was surely a glorious hope for the first century. They were waiting for the Lord to be revealed, and there was two things that happened at that revelation of Jesus Christ for the Christians. A, 
was that they were caught with the Lord. Yes, they were you know, brought into that dwelling place that Jesus promises in John chapter 14. They were brought into the full presence of God. That you know, they, At that point, that's where we see the, um, the fulfillment of uh, 1 John chapter 3, where it talks about you know, when, we see, when we see him, we will see him as he is, and we will be like him. Um, we, we see in 1 Corinthians 15 that this mortal will put on immortality at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's what was happening. Um, at the revelation that was a transition of covenants that that mortal body of law and sin and death was coming under judgment was dying out was passing away as the writer of Hebrews says and the glorious reality of the new heavens and new earth the glorified body of Christ was coming into play and that would be the body of salvation in contrast to the old covenant body that man had to subscribe to and come under those 613 laws be circumcised according to the law of Moses in order to be a part of the people of God. Today we're saying that it's in and through Jesus Christ. That's what happened at the coming of the Lord. The catching away was the, the truth of John chapter 14 being fulfilled. That they were being brought into the dwelling place of God, being brought into his complete and full presence. Being completely atoned for as Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 brings out. So that's the catching away. That's what they were expecting. That was the joy. And also the other point of that catching away was that, as Josephus points out, that no Christians died in Jerusalem. Because the Christians heeded the words of their Lord, and they fled to the mountains of Pella. Tell me that's not a catching away. I know that there are some preterists out there who happen to believe in a literal uh, rapture happening in AD 70. Again, I, I find no way to uh, defend that view from Scripture. I believe, you know, again, I think that's a very individualist perspective of understanding the reality that was happening in the first century and how the Hebraic mindset worked. So, again, continuing here. Talking about the rapture and the second coming, um, as we just saw in First uh, Thessalonians 2.19, what's being said here in the Dake's Annotated Reference Bible is that these two comings should not be confused. The scriptures that apply to one do not apply to the other. Not one passage refers to both events as they were one. These two distinct comings are separate by several years, and so are not two stages or phases of one coming. The rapture is the first of the two comings, not a coming to earth, but in the air. It could not be to the earth to live here and fulfill a mission as he did at the first advent. It cannot be the second advent because Christ does not come to the earth to live here to fulfill a mission as he did at the first advent. When Christ meets the saints in the air, he takes them back to heaven with him and presents them before the Father where they remain during the time of the tribulation is running its course on earth. And of course they have some proof text. Christ does not remain in the air with the saints when they meet him. The marriage supper, the judgment of the saints takes place in heaven at the second advent, the tribulation of Christ. Again, I'm not going to read all those because it's – it's nonsense. Um, something that Don Preston really draws out in a lot of his writings and in most of his videos is how we must go back to the Old Testament to understand the reality of what this meant for the New Testament believers. Again, I want to understand how the Apostle Paul even began to speak about you know, the, the Messianic banquet. What did he understand about the Messianic banquet? And what you would have to do is go back and you know, go through studies in Isaiah and, and understand the promises as they were given to Israel. And understand how Israel would have expected those promises to be fulfilled. Again, we know that the Pharisees and many of those in the first century were wrong, that they were waiting for a nationalistic restoration. Sadly, the dispensationalist says, as I was reading last night, I laughed, um, the reason why AD 70 could not have been the coming of the Lord was because he came to restore Jerusalem. 
He would come to restore Jerusalem according to Zechariah chapter 14. Amen. I agree. He would come to restore the new Jerusalem, as we see in Revelation 21 and 22. That the, the present city Jerusalem, again, go to Galatians chapters 4 and 5. You see, the present city Jerusalem was known as Hagar, meaning that her children were in slavery and death. Due to her, the new Jerusalem, which was a spiritual kingdom that was in heaven with God, that was coming down from God to the earth to dwell with men, his kingdom, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As that was happening, that's the reality of the new heavens and new earth, the new Jerusalem coming down. So it was talking about a pulling out of the old, you know, again, remembering that Jesus says right when he comes on the scene, he says, do not think that you could say that you have Abraham as your father, for I could create children of Abraham out of these stones. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing in that first century period. He was pointing out that it was not about nationalistic Old Covenant Israel, that he was going to draw out his true believers out of Old Covenant Israel. They would come to share in the fulfilled promises that were given to Israel, just as the Apostle Paul develops in Romans chapters 11 and 12, where he says, not all Israel is of Israel. So he's drawing out of national Israel, the true Israel, but also, as we see in Acts chapter 13, that he's making a call to the Gentiles. And he's saying, you have now been elected to share in the promises because some of you are of truth. That it's not by flesh and blood, but by the will of God. As we see in John chapter 1, Jesus came so that he might give men, not by the will of God, not by the blood of man, I mean not by the will of man, not by the blood of man, not by the flesh, but by the will of God, he would give men the right to become the children of God through him. That's the gospel. So you see how important it is to refer back to our foundations? Once we understand these doctrines, we can begin to you know, really show that a lot of the stuff that's being taught about it is just nonsense. So real quickly, I wanted to take it through a study that I have at the back of my Bible. They're saying here in this, this little passage that the rapture and the second coming cannot be synonymous with each other. You know, I've heard many people say, well, then how do we believe in a rapture? If they, do we believe in two or three comings? Blah, 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 blah. I want to take you through a little bit of a study here to show you the analogy of Scripture, the correlation of Matthew chapter 24, 1 Thessalonians 4, and 1 Corinthians 15. I, there's a great uh, article on that. I'll probably post it a little later. Um, fullpreterism.com, I believe it's Mike Sullivan, had made a, a great article I read a while back. That's where I actually got this study. And um, he does a great job. So here, if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Going to read, we're going to kind of jump around through some verses here. I'm going to read verse 30, and it says, And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Okay. Did you catch that? Now turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. Bible seems to be wrestling with me this morning. All right, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. Dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, so sound about the same to me, right? You know, he's going to come from heaven, the sign of the will appear in the sky, the tribes of the earth will mourn, they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. Okay. Um, 
For the Lord himself, I'm going to read it again because, you know, I don't know how we're saying this is different. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I don't know how we're not seeing the correlation. It sounds exactly identical to me. So uh, let's continue, though. Matthew chapter 24, verse 31 says, And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. Up oh, there you go, trumpets. And they will gather together as elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Again, go back to 1 Thessalonians 4. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we shall always be with the Lord. Doesn't that sound like gathering his elect? That, that, that's exactly what it's saying. <laughs> all right. So there you go. We, we've seen that. Um, look at – all right. We just saw – let's see. Verse 17. We saw the correlation there. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30. As we read, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the sign of the Son of Man coming with power and great glory. Verse 25, verse 6, chapter 25, verse 6. But at midnight there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. There you go. And this is Jesus telling a parable about this coming. So you obviously see at this point, right, Matthew chapter 24 and 1 Thessalonians 4, speaking about exactly the same thing. Let's continue. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. But of that, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, of, nor the Son but the Father alone. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now, as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. I always found this next verse very powerful. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. And if you read that parable of the ten virgins, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about those who were prepared for the coming of the Lord. So, again, we see that the correlation between 1 Thessalonians chapters 4 and 5 and Matthew chapter 24. I'll read you another one here. Matthew chapter 24, verse 8. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 3. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. <laughs> you got to love the Bible. Amen? Here, let's look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 27, and 36 and 38. For just as lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Right? In 36 and 38. But of that day and hour, no one knows. And we, we just read those verses. First Thessalonians 5, 4 through 8. But as for you, brethren, you are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light, sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. But let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep and get drunk at night, those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet of hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord and Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that we together are awake or asleep, will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another up, just as you are also doing. So, there you have it. It shows beautifully. It clearly correlates. Um, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Thessalonians 4. 
verse 13 through 14 reads this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you will, grie- that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus Christ. If I get you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 8. Let's see if this sounds identical. 12 through 18, sorry. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Which there is necroi, it's dead ones. Um, But if there is no resurrection, of the dead ones, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, and then our preaching is in vain, your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead ones are not raised. Then those, oh, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you are still in your sins, then those who are fallen asleep, there you go, remember 1 Thessalonians 4, he's answering the question about those who had fallen asleep. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men to be most pitied. Remember, again, they're in the law. They're following the law. If all we had was this short-term hope of Jesus in this life, that it has nothing to do with what's going to happen in, you know, after we die. We've been martyred. We've been slaughtered for the faith, as the Apostle Paul is pointing out. And he's saying, if all it meant was this, it's worthless. If, it, if there's no hope for the dead ones, if this wasn't about bringing our ancestors out of that depravity that they've understood under law. If that isn't what's happening, this whole thing is worthless. It really means nothing. And that's what the Apostle Paul is establishing, that God is indeed faithful, God is indeed will come, that the dead ones indeed have a hope in the reality of the new heavens and new earth. Uh, 15 through 17 in First Thessalonians 4 continue. For this we say by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I always found it interesting, and I know many preterist authors have pointed this out, that Paul includes himself in the generation that will be alive until his coming. Read verse 15 again. But we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Clearly, the Apostle Paul is looking as if this is about to happen in his generation. Some of us who are alive, yeah, I don't believe the Apostle Paul was alive, but I do believe, well, actually, I know the Apostle Paul wasn't alive by AD 70 um, due to historical you know, credibility. However, we know that some were, because Jesus promised that in Matthew chapter uh, 16. Whoa, I just forgot my favorite proof text. Matthew chapter 16, verses 27 through 28. Jesus says that some standing here will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom with power and great glory and the angels and all that. That same coming we're reading about in Matthew chapter 24, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, and Revelation. It's the same coming. Let's read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 52. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all will be changed. Therefore, not everybody's going to die and, you know, go to, because again, you couldn't die in Christ, you would sleep in Christ, and you would await the time of the resurrection of the dead ones to be fully glorified back to that full reality of Jesus. So, they will not all sleep, but some, but all will be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, there's that trumpet we read about in 1 Thessalonians 4, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead ones will be raised imperishable, and we, obviously we, the we who are alive, will be changed. 
And talking about that glorification of 1 John 3.18, that we would be glorified like him. So again, it's talking about the hope that's going to happen for the believer and the unbeliever. I've only read through a few. Again, I'm going to share the article, but I hope you've seen at this point that the analogy of faith is beautiful through Scripture. That if we begin to set our foundations aright, if we begin to truly read through our Bible with a proper understanding, that clarity is provided. So, the rapture. False. Pre-tribulation rapture. Again, the tribulation happened in AD 70. And if you really want me to, real quickly, I'll share with you. What happened in the events of AD 70, as revealed through you know, Josephus, Tatticus, and many ancient writers, is that the Romans invaded the city. They surrounded the city. You know, Again, I found it hilarious that on the History Channel, you know, they're pointing out all the, the nations that are surrounding Israel. I know one of the guys was getting excited about Ezekiel 38, trying to map out Gog and Magog, the tribes that are going to come from the north. And as I saw the map, I was like, the Roman Empire owned the north. <laughs> that was exactly what was being said by the prophecies. Yes, if you were alive in that first century, you would say, the north is coming. The Romans are surrounding us. They're gathered. Titus is gathering his troops over there at Armageddon, the valley of Megiddo. You know, what we know is Armageddon. He's gathering his troops, and they're going to come and storm the city. And as I said on Facebook last night, as I said as I was watching this, this video, was the main – Proof, you know, the guy, again, it's hilarious. I just sit here and I, I think about it. I'm watching this video, and the guy's talking about the, the temple, and, you know, the, the first sign was that no stone would be left upon another. Did you know that no stone has been left upon another since the first century, since AD 70? The reason why was because the Romans knew that there was gold underneath. Well, Josephus talks about this in his writings. The Romans knew that there was gold underneath the temple, so they dug up each and every stone to try to reach that gold. How do we say in 2014 that it's soon to happen? When Jesus said that not one stone will be left upon another, that was the sign, and that's what happened in A.D. 70. So the Romans surround the city. They come into the city. They destroy you know, the whole city, and this wasn't a quick war. This was you know, years of war, and that's why you know, we read of the horrendous uh, realities of people being diseased, people being shut in this small little city. I've been to Jerusalem. It's a tiny little city that I walked around within a half hour. So imagine being stuck as they shut the gates. They're not letting people escape. They're not letting people leave. That's why Jesus said, pray that your flight be not, you know, when you see these things happen, when you see the, the troops being gathered around the city, as Luke 21 shows, flee, get out. And that's exactly what the Christians did. They fled to the mountains of Pella. The Roman army comes into the city. They shut the gates. They keep everybody in there because many of the Jews were gathered for Passover at that time. And they just continue to slaughter these people that are being destitute. They're diseased. There's famine all over the place. Women are eating their children. And it was just a horrible reality. I understand it's very exciting to watch the History Channel today and say, oh, my God, that's what's coming. But I'll tell you what's even more exciting, to sit with the expectation of the people of God growing into the full understanding of God's promises. To me, that's exciting. That's more exciting than to hold on to a false hope of the world's going to come to an end soon. The rapture's going to happen. That stuff makes great movies. But it doesn't make for a great reality of living in the fulfilled promises of God. So, how do I go about all this? How do I uh, endeavor to solve the problem of this rapture view pervading our society and sadly holding many captive to ridiculous notions of theology? Well, the first thing here is uh, this, this radio show. You know, Again, I'm going to be on here. I apologize for not being consistent on my 8 a.m. broadcast. I, I will be doing that. I will be bringing on guests. Um, but I also endeavored in the new year to expect to see more fullness. You know, One of the areas um, – I want to end the show this morning just kind of talking about New Year's resolutions. 
Um, my first New Year's resolution is to completely help the body of Christ, and you know, it's been my resolution each and every year, to help the body of Christ continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, to help the body of Christ continue to make known the manifold wisdom of God while understanding the foundations, to restore the foundations. Let that be our goal, restoring the foundations. That way the righteous may praise God. Because as we see represented in Psalms, that if the foundations are destroyed, what would the righteous do? And we know what would happen. The righteous are confounded, confused, abused, persecuted, and ostracized. So let us restore the foundations. And a couple ways that I'm seeking to do this in my life and in my congregation here at Blue Point is um, in my life, you know, I have a I'm, – I'm a studious guy. I love to read. I always have about five different books I'm trying to go through. Like, for example, uh, right now I'm reading through a book called Simple Church, which is about church structure. Um, you know, in preparation for our annual meeting here at Blue Point, in preparation for a lot of the ministry stuff that we're seeking to do here at Blue Point. Um, I'm also reading through John Calvin's, well, I finished reading through John Calvin's Institutes on the Christian Religion um, as we've been going through Calvinism. I'm also reading through the Catholic Catechism and um, studying that out, listening to CDs and um, listening to a lot, you know, properly representing the, the Catholic faith, not seeking to interpret it my own way. Um, I'm also reading through a book called All for Grace by Charles Spurgeon, a little short book talking about the glories of uh, irresistible grace. Reading through Proof, which is a book by Daniel Montgomery. Um, again, this is my current reading list. And, uh, you know, on top of that, my own personal studies, getting articles ready for TFC Magazine and um, so forth. So my resolution is to offer clarity in my own personal studies and in my congregation. Um, one of the areas I'm going to do that is for the full year, I'm going to be going through the narrative of the Bible. We're going to do a series starting February 15th. Um, we're hoping to have that televised, like, you know, broadcasted through video on the Internet. One of the areas you could help that make it, make that a reality for us here at Blue Point um, this next coming year is possibly considering a donation to our ministry. Um, you can write out checks to the Blue Point Bible Church. You can send them to... 5 Maple Street, Blue Point, New York. You can look up our website, bluepointbiblechurch.org. Get in touch with me. I also have ways that you could possibly donate online if you're interested. And, um, you know, we can use help because my goal is if you notice a Berean Bible Church, you know, they have um, the video that they do every Sunday live feed. We want to be able to offer that here at Blue Point. As we continue our series in the new year, February 15th, we're going to be going through returning to our first love and the full Bible story, the full Bible narrative. I believe, and I've been mentioning this to many people, that if we go through the full story from Genesis to Revelation and we understand the context, again, you know, the way I understand Genesis is different than the way a large majority of people um, understand Genesis. Even the way that dispensationalists, according to the Dake's Annotated Reference Bible, with a pre-Adamic race and, um, you know, the, the gap theory of, you know, how the earth was around for long, you know, old earth, new earth. Coming to conclusions on these things actually helps. So what I want to do is start in Genesis, understand what that time period was, how it works its way through the law of Moses, the prophets, and how it came to the messianic time, and what the messianic time was seeking to develop. So we're going to do that as a church for the whole year, from February to December. You know, I will have preached the entire Bible through the end of 2015. Glory to God. And, uh, you know, again, I'm going to allow my study to be led that way as I go through the narrative. That way, if you give me a book, I'm going to have to figure out what part of the Bible it fits in, and I will read it then when I get to that part of the narrative. Um, you know, I'm going to refine my studies down, and obviously I'll be leading my Bible study on the Catholic Catechism, so I'll be going through that as well. Um, but those will be my two focus points for the year 2015. Point Bible Church, we're seeking to grow in making known the manifold wisdom of God, not only in word, not only in clarity of thought, but also in clarity of living. You know, what does it mean to live after AD 70? What should the church look like? What should the church be doing? You know, we have the conference happening here, March 20th through the 22nd, the Power of Preterism Conference. And uh, this is our second year doing it. Last year we had Don Preston, Joe Daniels, Norman Neal showed up, Cliff Payne, um, you know, a bunch of great people showed up for this uh, conference. 
This year we have exciting speakers. We already have a couple coming um, up. You know, we have Sam Bradford is going to be one of our speakers. We have um, Joe Daniels will be one of our speakers, working on a couple others to uh, be up there. I know a couple people from ministers and elders from my congregation will be sharing on what is the power of preterism, why preterism is growing, and what we must do about it. And I believe that has to do with the full narrative of Scripture. So again, we're going to be talking, uh, promoting the power of preterism as the full Bible story. And um, what that means in thought and what that means in deed, you know, how we should be reacting to it. And uh, that's a lot of the exciting stuff that we're look, looking to ha make happen here in 2015. And if I could admonish you this morning, well, something I have learned is that um, Bible uh, – I'm sorry. <laughs> lost my train of thought there. New Year's resolutions are better kept and are better stuck to if you write them down. That's why me, I, I issue a blog each. I try to issue a blog each year about my resolutions. I try to conclude all my studies and, um, you know, enter into the new year with expectation, excitement, um, anticipation to see God move, and, um, you know, really just glory in the reality of the new heavens and new earth. So again, we're not going to be raptured. I've not been raptured. You're not going to be whisked away to another reality. As much fun as that might sound, let the truth of God rapture your mind. Allow yourself to really be formed by the truth of God and allow the fulfilled promises of God to bring you into the reality of the new heavens and new earth. Amen. Let us end in prayer. And I'll be playing a song by Millennium, who is a preterist um, singer and a worshiper. And she has a song about God's fulfilled promises. Please, as we end in prayer, let's take a moment to listen to that song and begin writing down your New Year's resolutions to see God glorified in 2015. Heavenly Father. Lord, I thank you for the ability to, become on the, to come on these broadcasts, Lord, and to offer truth into the airwaves. Lord, I thank you for the listeners and their diligence, Lord, and their uh, constant efforts to make known the manifold wisdom, Lord. I, I lift up our, the preterist community, Lord. I lift up the body of Christ to you right now, and I pray for clarity and anticipation in regards to all that your promises provide, Lord God. We lift up praise to you, Lord. I lift up those that are listening if they need healing or anything, Lord. I just I pray for praise and testimonies, Lord, and glory to be revealed for you and you alone, Lord. We thank you for all that you have given to us in salvation, Lord. We thank you for the promises, the, the, the revelation of Scripture, Lord, and all that we can come to understand about you. We offer up our praises in and through Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, this is Millennium with God's promises fulfilled. When they proposed the earth revolved around the sun and the earth wasn't flat and that Jesus had come, it was common belief that those notions were false. And to prove them true, there is always a cost. When I set out to prove preterism was wrong, some beliefs were shattered and it didn't take long. I came across truth that for years I had missed. If you honestly want to know, don't forget this. If you study the culture and the history too, if you see the old as a shadow of the new, when you look at the typology of the high priest and the 40-year at the very least, if you learn the figurative language that they all knew, stop letting tradition speak louder than truth. As you perceive passages in covenant light, an audience relevance takes you out of the fight. If you let the time statements speak for themselves, and remember, the Bible interprets itself. If you take out your presuppositions of when, all the scriptures you thought were obscure now make sense. Daniel was given prophecy for a time not near, and its fulfillment took 600 years. When Revelation was written, Jesus stood at the door. Can the time be at hand to millennia or more? The law wouldn't pass until all was fulfilled. And no more unblemished lambs are killed. If he hasn't returned, then we're still under law. And the strength of the sting of death is installed. The gospel was preached to the whole world at that time.
John the Baptist is Elijah to come and foretold that John.